This episode is dedicated to the memory of Barb Christofferson and to Patrick Whitney. I didn't know Pat all that well. He was my sister's brother-in-law, but he was one of the kindest people I have ever met. It wasn't long after Mom died that he was diagnosed with cancer, and on July 4th, his battle came to an end. I dedicate this episode to Mom and Pat because we could all use a miracle, and this story just happens to be one. What you need to understand is that Brazil is weird. Okay, I should clarify that. It's not Brazil that's weird. It's Brazil's UFO sightings. From the beginning of their UFO history, Brazil was a step ahead of everyone else. While Kenneth Arnold saw nine objects on June 24, 1947, residents of Brazil saw humanoids, occupants of UFOs. Their first UFO sighting occurred a month later, on July 23rd, when Jose C. Higgins, a surveyor, reported that a huge whistling disc landed near him in the small town of Patanga in southern Brazil. The disc was composed of white and silver metal, and shortly after it had landed, three seven-foot-tall strange humanoid beings appeared to observe him from a pair of black glass windows. The three beings emerged from a door on the bottom of the craft. All three of the beings looked identical. They wore shirts and shorts, which looked to be made of paper rather than cloth. Their heads were almost hairless, their eyes round and large, and their legs were relatively long. One of the creatures pointed a metal tube at Higgins, suggesting that he come on board the craft. They communicated between each other using vague hand gestures. When asked where they came from, one of the beings drew what appeared to be a large circle representing the sun. The beings called it Alamo. They continued to draw seven other planets orbiting around Alamo, and pointed to the seventh one, calling it Orke. Higgins expressed his desire not to go. He showed these strange beings a picture of his wife, and it somehow struck a chord. They allowed him to stay. From a nearby forest, he looked back and saw the humanoids playing like children, jumping in the air and throwing enormous stones. They frolicked in the clearing for a half hour before re-entering their ship and leaving. A handful of additional humanoid sightings were reported in Brazil in the years that followed. A man named Rubem Helwig witnessed a football-shaped object the size of a Volkswagen land in 1954. Two occupants emerged with brown faces and fair hair, and they attempted to communicate with Helwig using telepathy in a language he didn't understand. The next day, Helwig claimed to interact with the same ship again, this time with a different crew. On November 14th of 1954, at about 3.30 a.m., a Brazilian railroad employee had an encounter with three small humanoid beings that appeared to be inspecting the tracks. 
They wore tight-fitting luminous clothing of some kind, and when they were discovered, quickly escaped to an oval-shaped craft that quickly took off. 1957 proved to be one of the strongest flap years for Brazil, and humanoids were sighted in record numbers. Dr. Olavo Fontes of APRO claimed that 1957 was a year in which UFOs performed a step-by-step military reconnaissance of Brazilian aerial and terrestrial defenses, including a careful and detailed inspection of every Air Force and Army base, military plants, supply centers, dams and locks, power plants, railroads and highways of strategic interest. UFOs crisscrossed the skies of Brazil in straight-line patterns, moving from place to place systematically. The first time they did this was in 1954, and they returned in 1957 flying in the same patterns. Lavo Fontes noted how the nature of their flybys had changed. The UFOs appeared to be more hostile. Some cases were particularly disturbing during this time period, and in the ensuing decades, Brazil would gain a reputation for having the most violent UFO sightings of just about any country. Today, though, I present to you something quite unique. The UFO miracle of 1957 is unsubstantiated and exists solely in a letter written to Jao Martins, a journalist from Brazil. In the late 50s, he began to write about the country's incredible UFO accounts and struck up a friendship with UFO researcher Dr. Olavo Fontes. In response to an article in the magazine O Cruzeiro, Martins received a letter from a woman who bore the alias Anazia Maria. Her Portuguese was unconventional but she told a remarkable tale. My name is Rob Christofferson, and this is Episode 3 of the Our Strange Guys Podcast. Dear Senor Jao Martins, I have seen your articles, and I wish to congratulate you. I believe in the existence of the so-called flying saucers, because I was witness to an occurrence related with them. I don't know if you are going to believe me, but I swear for everything that I am telling only the truth. I am poor but honest, and I am not going to mention the true names, and you will understand. My name is Anazia Maria. I am 37 years old and living now in Rio de Janeiro. I worked with Senior X, my ex-master, until December 1957. He is a rich man from the city. Forgive me for not giving the name. The daughter of my master was with cancer in the stomach. She suffered too much and I was engaged to serve as a kind of housekeeper and mostly to look for Miss Lays, the sick girl, 
She had been submitted to all treatments, but the doctors had said there was no hope. In August 1957, my master took all the family to his little farm close to Petropolis, hoping to see Miss Lays better in that good climate. But the days passed and nothing happened. She couldn't eat, the pains were horrible, and she was always taking injections of morphine. On the night of October 25th, I remember well, Miss Lay's pains were terrible. The injection was valueless. We were thinking that she was going to die. My master was crying by the corners, when suddenly a strong light illuminated the right side of the house, at the little farm close to Petropolis. We were gathered in Miss Lay's room, which window was placed exactly on the right side. The room was lighted only by the small table light. Suddenly it got so much brighter, as if the beam of a searchlight had been pointed to the inside of the room. Senor Hulahino, son of my master, ran to the window first and saw the so-called saucer. It wasn't very big. I have no study to be able to tell what was the diameter and width. I know it wasn't very big. The upper part was involved by a yellow-reddish light, and suddenly an automatic hatch opened out, and two small figures came down. They walked in the direction of the house, and another figure stayed in the hatch of the saucer. It became dark, and inside it, through the hatch, appeared a light, greenish light like we see in a nightclub. The men entered the house. They were small in size. They should have been 1.20 meters, or about 4 feet in height, smaller than the youngster son of the master who was 10 years old. They had long hair reaching the shoulders, yellow-red hair, small eyes slanted like the Chinese, but of a strong green color. They had things on their hands. I think they were gloves. The cloth was white and seemed thick. The clothes were all white but the chest, the back, and the wrist glowed. I don't know how to explain. They approached the bed of Lace, who was groaning with pain, with her eyes wide open and not knowing what was happening around. No one was moving or talking, in a horrible expectation. I was in the room together with Senor X and his wife, Senor Hulahino and his wife, and Adavino, who was the ten-year-old son of the master. The men looked silently at me and stopped beside the bed of Lays, spread on the bed the things they carried, made a gesture to Senor X, and one of them put his hand on the forehead of Senor X, who started to tell them all the case of Lays, the disease, everything in telepathy. The room was in absolute silence. The men began to illuminate the belly of Miss Lay's with a bluish-white light, which showed everything inside. We all saw what was inside the belly of the girl. With another instrument that was making a creaking sound, he pointed it in the direction of the stomach of Miss Lay's, and we could see the ulcer in the stomach. That operation lasted for almost half an hour. Miss Lay's slept, and they went away but before leaving the house communicated to Senor Rex through telepathy that he should give a medication to Miss Lays during a month. 
Then they gave to Senior Rex a hollow ball, which was of steel, I think. And inside we found thirty small white balls. They were the capsules to be taken, one each day, and she would be cured. Really, Miss Lays was cured, and Senior X, according to the agreement he had made with those men, avoided any publicity. In December, a few days before I left the house of Miss Lays, went back to the doctor who verified she had no cancer anymore. I just left the house, but made the promise to keep absolute secret about the case. However, I am telling you about it, and I ask you to keep the secret. If the case is mentioned in your articles, there will be no consequences, because I will never disclose their names. However, I swear to you that everything really happened. My darling Lays was condemned to die of cancer of the stomach, and almost at the end, she was saved by an instrument that looked like a flashlight, that emitted some rays that took off the cancer, and she was cured. And those men have done many things of this kind to the people of the Earth planet, to show us that we must have no fear of them. They saved Miss Lays, and in the same night went back to the saucer and were gone forever. Confidentially, they are indeed from Mars and come here to search for magnesium, which they purify there in their planet. And this magnesium is used for their constructions and for the so-called flying saucers. They have no intention of fighting against the people of Earth. This I was informed hearing what Senior X was telling the family. Please don't put me in a bad position. If you mention the case, never tell in your articles that you know about it from Anasia Maria. I don't want to pass for a blackmailer, or to be in a bad position with my ex-master. I am telling you this only to help you in your investigation of the problem. Forgive me for not giving my address. I live in Rio, in a suburban district. I am honest and sincere but I don't want no press interviews because of my ex-master. Thank you for your attention. Anasia Maria UFO history is full of cases like this, of UFO healings. This one gives hope. More hope than any of them. And when I need a reason to believe, I pull this letter out and I read it. I feel like we all need a reason to believe sometimes. This episode was written and recorded by me. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the show, please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also become a Patreon supporter by visiting patreon.com slash ourstrangeskies. Patrons get access to early releases of episodes when available, and bonus episodes as well. If you'd like to connect with us, you can email the show at ourstrangeskies at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Our Strange Skies. And if you're interested in merch, check the show notes for a link to our Tee Public page, where you can find t-shirts, mugs, and all other sorts of items for purchase. Our theme song was composed by Big Cats, with additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. And our logo was designed by Tessa Brown. Thank you so much for listening.
Shavid Media.